Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We're your hosts. I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm... Skeeter... <laughs> Skeeter... That should just be it. Skeeter. I'm Skeeter. <laughs> um, I, sorry, I watched an episode of Doug... On, ah. um, on Pluto TV. They are not a sponsor, but uh, Pluto TV, it's a great app on your phone, and they have a, a channel of all these 90s cartoons like Hey Arnold and Rugrats. Should I get Doug. Pluto? I've been Pretty seeing great. that everywhere. It's straight up free, and so I just put it on, but I'm on my TV. I thought it, but isn't it like. I mean, like, it's got ads. How long are the ads? Not that long. Are they bad as TBS? No. Nothing is that bad. Now. This Pluto app, isn't it like scheduled TV though? Like, because I was gonna get it at yeah. one point, but it, but then I was like, oh, it's like scheduled TV. Yeah, I don't, I don't it's know. like having cable. Uh, oh, all right, but they have an entire uh, channel dedicated to Baywatch, and it is just I don't Baywatch. Care about Baywatch. It's Baywatch twenty four seven, guys. All right, so let me let me tell you a little something <laughs> about Baywatch. Baywatch is amazing. First off. All right. Well, I mean, it got the Hoffman his career. So, let's talk about Hoff. So, David Hasselhoff. Oh, my God. Um, You're the one who gets mad at me when I go off like this. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, everyone. Uh, like Jeremy said, yeah, that was not sponsored by Pluto TV. <laughs> I genuinely have contemplated getting it, but I'm just I like, mean, it's free. Just put it on. You don't like it, delete it. Who cares? Oh. Um, yeah, so, dude, you know, last week when you told me we were going to do this movie, I was... You almost made it sound like it was a huge bummer. And so... It can be. I, I'll i be honest. I went in. It was like, okay, it's going to bum me out. Like, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Let's do this. And I did I did not feel bummed out at all. I, I actually... I turned to Ashley and said, that was a beautiful movie. It is. Um, yeah, man. It I, absolutely is. I, I think that it's... Uh, it's one of Charlie Kaufman's best. I mean, not that Charlie Kaufman has bad movies. I don't think he does. But uh, now he's only directed like three movies, right? He himself, yes. Uh, now he's written other ones, obviously. Yeah, I, I know because I watched the trailer after we did the episode last week, and I watched the trailer just to get an idea of what mm-hmm. I was about to get into. And yeah, the first thing is it was like the writer of Being John Malkovich and adaptation, mm-hmm. which is what I meant to ask you last week. Because that's the one where Nick Cage plays him and plays his Kaufman. brother. Yes. Um, and no, it is... His quote-unquote brother. It's a very interesting film. Adaptation. Um, I That uh, definitely a future episode. It's one where he is trying to adapt the Orchid Thief into a feature film. And he just can't do it because the book doesn't lend itself to be adapted into film, right? It's uh-huh. That's not the kind of book it is. And so the movie ends up being Charlie Kaufman trying to adapt The Orchid Thief. And it's an amazing film about the creative process and and about the struggle to try to create something that uh, is said to be hard or impossible to create. Uh-huh. And it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Adaptation's amazing. All right. What are you to talk about? Adaptation. Yes. We are here to talk about Anomalisa. Yes. Uh, uh, which is a movie I am just madly in love with. I, I've seen it a few times now, and I, I think it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Yes. You know, being a fan myself of uh, a lot of stop motion films, you know, 
I grew up watching Tim Burton, and then I've seen the two Wes Anderson stop motion movies. You know, I'm just a big fan of stop motion. I think it's it's an art form that I've always wanted to learn how to do, but I don't have that kind of patience to sit there and, as Dimitri Martin says in Rockstar, move a little bit, take a picture. Move a little bit, take a picture. I, I don't have that kind of patience. And I saw that it took them two years to make this movie, mm-hmm. which is, I think, shockingly... Uh, um, I can't think of the word now. Well, it's also not a long movie. Uh, I know that uh, it's an hour and thirty minutes, almost, almost exactly. You know. Yeah. It. I can't think of the word, man. Oh my god, my brain just like. It's all right. Uh, anyway, it, it some short, some animated uh, stop motion animation takes longer than two years, um, and. It was just, I loved the animation style, as mm-hmm. we were talking about off mic. I love that we can see the the lines where they take the jaws apart to add in the new ones. Um, when I saw the trailer, I thought those were glasses. I was like, wow, does everyone in, in this film just have glasses? And then when I started watching it, I was like, oh, it's not glasses. It's And so I thought that was so cool that they just left it in. Yeah, the, the seams it become diegetic and part of the narrative Mm -hmm. right and um as i was telling you off mic uh, one of the one of the directors uh, doug he was asked oh was it more expensive to digitally take them out he said it's the opposite it was more expensive to keep the seams even right Mm -hmm. because in some shots um it would be you know a little bit lower than it should have which means digitally they have to go fix it or whatever uh, but let's uh, let's talk a little bit about stop motion. So um, their goal, the animator's goal, was two seconds a day. They needed to film two seconds worth of the film a day. Fuck. And Doug was saying some of them made it, but... Not all of them? No. And I would say the minority made the goal. Damn. For two seconds a day. A lot of times it would just be a few frames. Fuck. Uh, because of how tedious and all, you know, uh, hard it is because they want to make it so natural mm-hmm. and um, so realistic that, and the thing that really sped them up was the, the taking the jaw and the forehead off, right? Yeah. Uh, that's a lot easier than pre-planning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pre-planning uh, facial expressions and mouth movements. They 3D printed thousands of these and they could just choose on the day right yeah if anyone has ever seen the nightmare before christmas which i'm sure most of our audience has um if you watch if you ever watch documentaries or behind the scenes footage they have cases full of every single mouth expression that the voice actor has done that way they can match uh they even Back in 95, 93, when that movie came out, they actually developed software to figure out what would be the next mouth movement, mm-hmm. which was crazy for 93. Well, yeah. And and so with this one, just being able to just take off part of the face and put another one back on, yeah, I mean, it takes a while, but I mean, it's not like taking off a full head, putting another head back on, that, making sure it's in the right spot, blah, 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 all that stuff. That's true, because right. even though... Their eyes don't 
move a lot mm-hmm. like other stop motion films I've seen. They still were able to convey emotion. You can see the reflections mm-hmm. in their eyes and things are moving in the reflections. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Um, and I think a lot of the realism, yes, goes to the animation, but also the sound design. Oh, so yeah. by that, I mean the, um, I mean, we probably should have talked about this last, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, is the, the sound team would go to actual hotel hallways and walk down run down right and things That's like awesome. that they would go to actual hotel rooms and have that room sound right and so doing the actions in the room gives you the right ambient noise for that scene for that setting mm-hmm. right and they would do this for every place every sound so instead of it being crisp and clean and precise these things are realistically put together and made to seem as if we're filming real people in real situations. Right. Would you say the film wouldn't have the same depth if it had been done with real people? Hmm. Because you got to think with the big twist of the movie um, to do what they had to do, it would have been, they would have to digitally yeah, CGI they would have to, everyone's face. Right, they would have to CG everyone's face. Yeah, I, I think that... I mean, I don't know. It's weird to speculate, but I think it wouldn't have the same effect. I don't think it would have either, you know? Uh, using I was, live action. I was really thinking about it once me and Ashley finished the movie, and I was like... Because the... You know, the setting is so simple. It really only revolves around two characters. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I was like, why didn't he do this with real actors? And then that's when I was like, well, everyone else's face would have had to been digitally replaced or, you know, something, not to mention the voice. And it, it just, it's easier to do it this way. I Right. And originally was not meant to be a movie. So I guess we can start there. Okay. Uh, in 2005, uh, Charlie Kaufman wrote this sort of stage Production, Kind of. So by that I mean there are three people. We have David Thewis. I think it's Thewis. Thewis? Thewis. Jennifer Jason Lee and Tom Newton. So these guys were always on, Mm -hmm. right? These guys were always attached uh, to be these characters, right? Right. So we have Michael, we have Lisa, and we have everybody else. Um, And what they would do is they would just sit on stage with a... um, with a thing, what do you call those? An orchestra, the stands. Um, oh, uh, yeah, a stand. A stand. Um, with a stand, with a script, a microphone, and then uh, there is someone in front of them, facing them, to do the sounds and the music. Oh, okay. And so, um, Charlie Kaufman had this idea, and he, you know, fleshed it out. And so, in two thousand five, uh, they did it twice, I think. Um, they rehearsed for two days and they did it for two days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was this story, it was this narrative. And I mean, we don't have the overlapping voices with Tom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Newton, you know, talking over himself because he can't do that in real life, right? Right. Um, but it was essentially the same, right? And so. Um, what made it a film 
is later um, <laughs> Dan Harmon and one of his uh, production friends. A lot of you guys would know Dan Harmon from he created uh, Community and Rick and Morty. And so that's Dan Harmon. Yeah. Um, he and his uh, his buddy, uh, who would play Starburns, Alex, uh, on Community, um, they wanted to see this as a film so bad. And so they created a production company called Starburns Industries, <laughs> and uh, they said, let's do this as a movie, right? Uh-huh. And so then in 2012, they finally started production, and uh, now we have this, right? Right. As a stop motion for adults drama. Yes. Um, when you warned me last week that um, <laughs> that I will see a, uh, for the first time in an, a stop motion film, a penis. Yes, you will see nudity. Yeah. I was like, okay. Because, you know, the most... I apologize if everyone can hear that. Is that a plane? I think that's a plane. Okay. Uh, but anyway, because um, the first, I guess, quote-unquote, adult first short film I'd ever seen was Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. It was PG-13. Right. Because there was violence and... I mean, not gratuitous violence, but there was violence not really suitable for kids mm-hmm. and some language here and there. So I guess that was, like, the most adult I'd seen at the time. This definitely trumps that. Yes, this is a little uh, over that line, right? Yeah. Um, I think one of the first lines of dialogue is, is fuck you, Michael. Yeah, it, he's, he's, reading, yeah, the he's reading the letter from, from Bella. The, right. Um, so let's, all right. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into the narrative because I love the narrative very much and it's, I would say it's simplistic, but it's, you know, it's just a man who meets a, oh. a woman falls mm-hmm. madly in love, falls out of love, and then goes home. Right. Right. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting to give him this occupation as a motivational speaker for, for customer service. Customer service. Yeah. Um, because he just seems so detached, right? Mm-hmm. And this, of course, being abundantly apparent because everybody else has the same face and the same voice, mm-hmm. right? And so he just seems so detached because he literally is. He is different, literally, from everybody else. Right. Right. And this, of course, is a metaphor for his depression and his existential crisis that he's going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, wondering what it is to, to be here, what it is to be human, what it is to be Michael Stone. He doesn't know. Right? Right. And it's such an interesting... Uh, way to show his depression and his crisis mm-hmm. um, and let's go ahead and talk about the syndrome itself so right. uh, when Michael goes to Cincinnati he pulls into this hotel and this hotel I'm going to pronounce it the way the, the concierge did but that's not how it's actually supposed to be pronounced so he <laughs> pronounces it as uh, Frijoli um, but it's the Fergoli syndrome. Yeah, we, well, and Michael says that later on. Yeah, he, he says Fergoli. Yeah, Fergoli. I'm at the Fergoli Hotel, right? Yeah. Um, so the Fergoli syndrome is where a person uh, thinks that everyone around him is the same person in disguise, mm-hmm. and which is a real psychological phenomenon and a, a real disorder, but. Uh, the way Charlie Kaufman uses it, he doesn't quite use it as a disorder, although Michael Stone does mention he has psychological issues. 
yeah. in the film, right? But really, it's a metaphor for his depression, for his existential crisis. Mm. Um, and we get a little bit of evidence that it could be both at the very end, mm. right? Um, but we'll get there. So having one person voice literally everyone else, everybody else, um, and Tom Noonan is a genius. So I was watching some special features, some interviews, and Tom Noonan at first was like, I I don't want to do that, right? Yeah. Because people will just think I can't do voices. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I don't want people to think that I'm not talented or I, I just can't do it, right? But he got over that. And eventually he understood the reason why everyone had to sound the same. Although he does do a little bit you know, he differentiates a little bit between genders and age. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It's a very it's it's almost like a subtle cadence in his voice where you could tell it's the same voice, but like for his son, for Michael's son, his voice is a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. For the girls, he adds in more of a, a more feminine touch. I think but, he adds a little more breath mm-hmm. to his voice, right? But it, you can tell though it's all the same voice. Right. And having this generic face attached to everybody mm-hmm. also helps. I, I'm i not sure if I knew that going in the first time I saw it. Um, I remember looking it up and I was so fascinated by the cast list on IMDb because <laughs> it says David is Michael Stone, Jennifer is Lisa, and then Tom is everyone else, else. right <laughs> and so i was like what does that mean you know what i mean yeah and i was like maybe there's not a lot of people and the, and there's tons of other people mm-hmm. right and so uh, poor tom uh, because he's having to sit you know um and just do all of these lines that you'll barely hear because it's all just background noise yeah chatter Right. Uh, every once in a while, it's front and center. Like when he, when Michael's going down the hallway in the hotel room, and that couple is, you know, screaming "fuck you," yeah. you know. Um, and of course, you know, the cab driver and other. I mean, but people in the airport, people at the restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's amazing how they were able to put all of that together. And it sort of be pretty seamless. I mean, um, oh, yeah. it, they showed a little bit of him just delivering lines uh, that you don't ever hear because they're in the background mm-hmm. and very soft. And uh, it's <laughs> it was fun to watch, but I'm sure he was just like, Jesus, how many pages is this? You know? Yeah. Charlie comes in the next day like, all right, man. So today pff, you're going to be these people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, the way that they uh, recorded was all in one room. Oh, that's cool. So, so, so David could play off of everyone. Everybody. Well, well, the two people, right? right. Uh, yeah. So all three of them were in the same room, but then again, you know, to deliver all of these extra lines, Tom was by himself. Right. Okay. So that that probably made it a little bit easier. It does. And what they did was they filmed them. Uh, so if Jennifer is talking with her hands. Uh, so will Lisa. Lisa will talk with her hands mm. in 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 that sentence or whatever, right? Right. Um, and so filming them helped the animators decide what the actor should do. Uh, a lot of the animators also filmed themselves doing certain actions so they can mimic body movements. 
and to make it as realistic as possible. Yeah, I, I love it when stop motion incorporates that. You know, <laughs> I know you're probably tired of it, but in Fantastic Mr. Fox, mm-hmm. Wes basically filmed the entire movie with just the actors mm. and how they would you know how would you move as the character so they went out to I think he owns a ranch and they went out on the ranch with George and a lot of the other cast and had the script and just filmed George like okay George like how would you do this and a lot of George's motions that he did as Fox went into the movie and so I that's really cool that they I just I, I just love that because it gives it more of it lends more for the actor like it's not just my voice it's me moving and it's not now I will say that um, the the actors don't look like yes like the puppets don't look like they're the actors right right so what they did was they um, they kind of had a concept for each character Mm -hmm. and they were like well now we have to find someone that kind of looks like that so we can model the the puppet after it I think one of the producers had an ex-brother-in-law uh-huh. And he was Michael, right? And so they he came in, they took pictures of him, and then they modeled the the doll or the puppet after this gentleman, right? Right. And then one day they were in a restaurant, and they saw this woman, and they go, that's Lisa right there. Let's go talk to her. And it turns out she was an actress, thank God, <laughs> you know, because that would have been weird, right? Ma'am, uh, excuse me. Um can you come with us so we can take some pictures of your face? Exactly. Well, it's and in her case, yes, it was her face because she was thinner, right? She's she was a thin, in shape woman, and of course, uh, Lisa is not really right. Right. She's sort of out of shape, but not fat, but you know, right? Um, not athletic, and so um, then they modeled Lisa after her, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody else, they took people who worked in the crew, took pictures of their faces, mashed them all together in Photoshop and now we have everybody else hmm. um, so everyone else's face is an amalgam of like several people on the crew so literally everyone else's face right that's crazy yeah time consuming probably because they probably had to because they probably couldn't just layer them on top of each other they probably right. had to yeah 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 I'm, they didn't show that process they were just describing it and that's how they described it yeah um, now do you want to guess which scene the animators were uncomfortable mimicking on camera. I, I probably know. They they hired adult film actors um, to act out the scene. They were directed, and um, because they were like, I'm not doing it. You know what I mean? So the scene in which Michael uh, goes it, down. No, uh, it's the entire thing. Oh, uh, because it's meant to. A lot of it is meant to be quote one shot. Right, uh-huh. this uh, static camera, and so yes, the adult film I did all of it, right? But uh, they needed to know how the bed sheet would move. They needed to know how the clothes would react. Mm-hmm. They needed to know if if he touches her here, how would she move, and how would he move, right? And how would the bed move, right? Because, again, they're going to have to mimic all of that with these puppets. And here's the biggest thing that you probably have never thought about is puppets don't weigh anything. Oh, yeah. And so they have to... uh, They have to manipulate the bed underneath to show as if it is 
being pressed on mm. because they don't weigh anything, right? Right. And so they have to rig it to um, to sink in a little bit. I wonder if that was a very easy day for those <laughs> adult film oh, for stars. for sure. It's the easiest day they've ever had. Like, hey, this is what you're going to do, okay? You're just going to go down on her. Uh, you're just going to have some light sex, and then that's it. Yeah. Not even that long, you know? Okay, so is it, are we talking pounding? No. Just, just get it in. And then you're done in like two seconds. Yeah. Homie, I don't do anything in two seconds. Yo, homie. Bet. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> when Lisa hits her head on the backboard, uh-huh. the actress hit her head on the backboard. Oh, that's cool. So she had uh, moved back a little too far. And when she leaned back, she hit her head. And they're like, let's leave that in. You know, it's it's very realistic. It's very, you know, down to earth. It's Yeah, you know, especially for what that scene is. Just a very spontaneous and it's very sex. it's extremely intimate. I know we've talked about things like this before, and especially in what movie was it? Mulholland Drive. Yes. Um, this is, I guess, the heterosexual version of that. Um, <laughs> and it's amazing how these one sixth to scale Humans. sized things, mm-hmm. inanimate things are so sympathetic and so human, right? Yeah. And this is throughout the entire film. You just, you feel it, right? And mm-hmm. it's amazing. These animators just knocked it completely out of the park. Yeah. I remember us talk, uh, while we are talking off mic, um, <clears throat> I saw a review that said, you know, a very human movie and there's no humans. And I completely agree. You know, it was a little... Uh, it did throw me for a loop <laughs> seeing a sex scene because mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't expecting it. When I when I saw Michael's little penis, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, hey, yeah. Hey, look. Yeah. And then um, when he's getting very handsy with Lisa, I'm like, well, you know, at least they're not... Ha- okay, they're having yeah, sex. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't... You know, it wasn't gratuitous. It nope. wasn't... To really drive my point home, it wasn't Team America World Police. And that is exactly what Charlie Kaufman said. He said, now, when it's in the script, and I don't want people to think it's Team America. He said that exactly. He said, because it's not a joke, right? Yeah. This isn't meant to be. The only thing you're supposed to really giggle at is when she bangs her head on the, you know, uh, on the backboard. Or when he, you know, leans on her hair. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's. It's not meant to be a comedic performance. It's meant to be real. Right. Right? And and so that is exactly what he said. Because uh, yeah. obviously Team America had come out by then. But Right. Uh, and if uh, anyone's seen it, you know the scene we're talking about. Uh, this very gratuitous, over-the-top joke sex scene. Right. And also they're marionettes. So that's not no. quite the same. Um, but anyway. So let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about Lisa so um, Michael is in the shower and he's in the bathroom and he's about to take off his his lower half of his face right yes because he's He's pressing it. He's trying to get the seams to match. Well, and then, to, you know, his eyes start going weird and, and... Right. And his mouth starts going a little weird and then he's about to take it off and then he hears someone else's voice. 
Uh, it is not Tom Noonan. It is someone else. And I love his exclamation of someone else, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's it, it means so much, right? Um, that in this, in we we had been with him for I don't know. 45 minutes? Yeah, a good 45 minutes at this point. Where all we're hearing is him and Tom Noonan, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we hear Jennifer Jason Lee's voice, we get excited. We're like, whoa, what was that? Right? Yeah, because Charlie has almost built us into this world where there really is everyone else is the same but Michael. Right. You know, even though, as I kind of told you off mic, the Fergolia Hotel's name is a blatant Easter egg. Like, like this... This isn't a world where everyone looks the same. Right. This is just him. But personally, I was like, wow, the whole movie is we live in a world where everyone's the same but this one guy. Right. And so, yes, I agree that once we heard Lisa's voice, we were like, I was oh. like, wait, there is someone else? And that, and that's why I titled the episode Someone Else because I just love his reaction to that and his exclamation of joy that it, he's not alone. Mm. There is someone else. And I love how he quickly gets ready again. Yeah. Doesn't even put his underwear back on. Nope. And barely puts a shirt on. And then Emily answers the door. And, I mean, after he knocks on a few wrong doors. Yeah. And then we get Jennifer Jason Lee. Right? Mm. And now she's been introduced. And she literally is an anomaly. Right? Um, Mm -hmm. I know when they're, they're talking in his hotel room about that, but... She truly is in this world. In Michael's world, she's an anomaly because she is someone else. Right. She is unique. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why he is just so infatuated. Because he has been in such a mundane, boring space for God knows how long. Yeah. Right. I think long I think it's implied long enough to just up and leave Bella an old flame. Right. I mean and it's it is sort of funny when he when he answers the phone and he immediately recognizes who they are by their voice which is kind of funny to mm. think about because in this world he could pick up the phone someone would say hello and he would have no idea right well we kind of get a little bit of that at the end too right but we'll get there so he meets Lisa and his world completely changes mm-hmm. right um you know he's He's a, he's a different person. Yeah. Right? He's almost happy. Right. Which, Michael's not a happy person. Right? <laughs> the fact that he's, you know, written a book about customer service and making other people happy is amazing. Yeah. And it's all... <laughs> I also thought it was odd that... Um, I mean, I, I guess it's not odd, but I think it's odd to have this sort of... I wouldn't call it fame, but recognition for yeah. writing a book about customer, customer service. service. Yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of odd, and it may be meant to be odd. I don't know. Um, yeah, that he's so recognized that this hotel, this hotel in Cincinnati, wants him to come speak. Right. You know, and that other people will drive other people. That's you know, it's like if someone were to read a. I guess it would be like Dave Ramsey, I suppose. Yeah, or I something so. like that. Uh, that people who kind of aren't in that, like aren't in a, you know, CEO or, you know, high ranking space in a customer service industry Mm -hmm. would go. Because these people are pretty, like Lisa is not 
you know, a manager or director or whatever, right? Yes. She's yeah, just she says she was passed up on leadership. Right. And so it's it's very odd to me that these people who are just so low on the ladder, if number one, read the book, number two, are moved enough by the book to go see it in space. To, to, to drive from Akron. To drive from Akron, Ohio. <laughs> to go see it speak in Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Very odd. Fine. I can get around that. Um, the fact is, <laughs> it's it's just an odd thing to me. Mm. Um, now, what gets really odd is the dream sequence. So, yes. uh, this is where we get real Kaufman stuff. Very uh, surreal. Yes, in this dream sequence. And it really does start when we get to the office, where it's this gigantic space with a stairwell to and I think you said underground meeting yeah room uh, in the middle of this you know floor yeah I think you said they offered me either the 300 foot square for on the fifth floor or here yeah he's like you can tell why I picked right it's like oh, okay so this guy's out of his mind um, but then you know then we get the golf cart thing and it's like you know oh that's what it's for Right? Right. To drive over here where he just could just walk. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's it's almost no difference. I before before you go on, I genuinely thought this is what the rest of the movie was gonna be. Yeah. And I was like, let's do it. Yeah. I mean it's it's really exciting, this uh, this dream sequence because it's so surreal and very Kaufman esque. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he starts getting on the treadmill to speak. Yeah, which was like, what an asshole. But it's very odd, right? It's very off putting. And it's it's sort of you know it's very impersonal because he he's not even looking at him. Yeah, like I said, he's an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> but then he's like you know I you know when he confesses his love for to Michael. Michael. Yeah, and then we get to the secretary room and they all confess their love or whatever because he can't be with Lisa, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be someone else. Anyone else? Anyone but Lisa. But Lisa, and this is his sort of uh, his psychosis mixed with his dream logic of him so worried he's going to lose finding someone unique, right? Mm-hmm. Finding someone else, um, losing who he finds to be different, special, right? right? Because as he says to her, you know, he's so terrified of losing her because he loses everyone. Mm-hmm. And, she, we, and we get to see exactly what he means by that um, the next morning. Yes. During breakfast. Yes, which, because like you said, I was convinced. I was like, this is the rest of the movie. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm all I'm all in. And then he wakes up. I was like, oh. Uh, yeah. Um, and then the... Then it takes a very a more realistic ending. Yeah, um, and I, I'm sure I don't even know if you checked how much time is left. It was like 20 minutes left. Yeah, you know there there's not a lot of time left after this, and so uh, he's he's talking to her at the dinner at the breakfast table. That he's gonna he's gonna leave his wife. Right. We're gonna move to Los Angeles. And then he starts noticing little little things that she's doing that he's not super down with, right? You know, she's clinking her fork against her teeth. She's talking with her mouth open. She's being kind of controlling, blah, blah, blah. 
And then her voice starts to change. Uh, we get her voice mixed with Tom Noonan's mm-hmm. as sort of an echo when she speaks. Yeah. And then we really we, we start sort of we start losing her face, right? I think it's a glare. And yeah, the, the she's sun, sitting behind the, the sunlight, sun. right? And so we start losing her face, and then once their conversation's over, boom, her voice is now Tom Noonan's, and her face is everyone else, right? And so this is the the representation of Michael not allowing himself to to be satisfied mm-hmm. with someone. Right, because all he's doing is nitpicking these little things that she's doing, which aren't really that big of a deal at all. Yeah. Right, and I think that's what he's been doing to everyone his entire life. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it it sort of it, it it plays on the idea that he finds any excuse not to get close to anyone and having them be part of the monotony of his life. Right. Right. And so finding Lisa. And then not allowing himself to follow through with a relationship with Lisa mm-hmm. changes her to a faceless background character. Yeah, I as soon as um, as soon as he started to nitpick, I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. he's it's it's that situation of I can't think of the movie, but kind of not necessarily the same concept, but the character's like, I don't want to lose you, and in. In the steps trying to take to prevent said relationship loss, they still lose them. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the same... Not the same way because he's nitpicking. Yeah, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. He is so terrified of losing her that... that he's going to lose her. Right. And it's his fault. Yeah. I mean, sort of. Right? I mean, it might be a part of his psychological whatever, but um, the fact that he just, you know can't look past certain things mm-hmm. that he is so I don't know I, I you know I would not say it but he, he just he he can't be satisfied with imperfection I guess maybe in, in some sort of degree it, it almost seems like during you know when he's talking to Lisa in his hotel room he's already kind of built her up as perfect yeah you know you're different you're unique I've, I'm madly in love with you, even though I've only spent an hour with you. You're perfect. And then once he starts to see the imperfections, rather than accepting the imperfections to keep, it's almost like a like a like an ass backwards thing. But to accept the imperfections to still keep her perfect, he can't accept the imperfections, which then turn her. Which is odd because the night before he was accepting all of her imperfections, especially her scar. Her scar, right? Mm-hmm. Her, yeah, her facial scar on the side of her eye. Yeah, um, he had no problem with that, right? But something about her eating with her mouth open. Something about it, and uh, obviously, it's not. It could have been anything, right? Yeah. The fact that Charlie Kaufman picked that is, you know, Im- immaterial. It doesn't matter. I feel like it would. What was the smallest thing possible? Right, eating with your mouth open. Yeah, and and Michael just not being able to look past it, or you know, finding any excuse to back out. Yeah. Right, or to have this person just become everybody else. You almost, 
I mean, at least for me, I, I felt sorry for him. I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, you you did this to yourself, man. Yeah. Um, and then he has his, his meltdown. His speech, yeah. At his speech, which was beautiful. I mm-hmm. mean, David delivers it so beautifully. Right. Um, but it's like, bro, you, you did it to yourself. Yeah. And it's not it's not a happy ending for Michael at all because he goes back home and you know, he sees his son, he bought him that ridiculous antique sex toy. Yeah. Um, What's coming out of it? Michael, that looks like semen. <laughs> Uh, what? Uh, no. Uh, what's semen? I was like, it's a liquid. It'd be quiet. But what was so great about that surprise party scene, right, when everyone comes out, he doesn't recognize anybody. Yeah. And of course not, because everyone's the same. And he's back to this monotony, this depressed state of mind, this this life that he hates. And he's stuck. Yeah. And I think... He, at the end, he's sort of reflecting and maybe is starting to realize it may be all him. He's the reason everybody looks the same. He's the reason there is no one else, right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, he just sits on the on the end of his stairs while everyone else is having a good time, mm-hmm. reflecting. And then, of course, then we get the reveal that... Not only is Lisa back to normal and looks normal, but Emily yeah. looks like someone else also in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the film is over. Anomalisa, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal that Emily looks different, too. Right? Mm-hmm. Because that does prove that Michael is choosing to see everyone the same. Yeah. Or has a psychological disorder making him see everyone the same. But something about Lisa sets her apart. Right. At for, least for a while. Yes. And and that's Anomalisa. And um, she does put in the note, this is nitpicky and stupid, but I was reading about her saying that it means something in Japanese. It's not true. Oh. <laughs> there's uh, nothing goddess that, of heaven. Yeah, there's nothing that comes close to that. Um, there and they, they give you an example like it could be this which is a little different and it means a little different of a thing it's the goddess of something else uh, but it doesn't translate to that phonetically to anomalies enough right you know and it, you know it was just so gorgeous of a movie mm-hmm. you know animation and and you know I have great respect for the cinematographers for stop-motion movies. You're going to love this. They made tiny versions of lighting equipment. Really? Yeah. So they lit it like an actual film, but it was just tiny one-sixth versions of the lighting equipment to get it right, right? Uh, All I can... All I'm I'm thinking to myself is the stupid-ass thing we were doing, doing during the Paranoid shoot of what they're do, like doing that on that little set striking striking and just the, <laughs> and a little bit of light Ding. all right we're good we're good but here's the deal here's what's so cool about thinking about the actual production mm-hmm. is things you wouldn't think about like the sets were made of wood right all day long they're being lit right mm-hmm. and it could get up to 80 degrees in there at the end of the day they turn them off and so the wood will expand throughout the day and 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 contract 
at night. Right. Things move when you do that. And so when they come back and look, the shot is off, which means they have to make sh- which means they have to redo some stuff and they have to place things exactly where they were yesterday. Oh yeah. Right? And so they came across a lot of problems with, you know, the I things feel, moving and warping and things like that. I feel like there was one short film. Well, not a short film. I keep saying short film. I've been saying short film all day today. Um, there was one uh, stop motion film that I saw where they had to to f- kind of not necessarily fix that, but to alleviate that, they glued everything in place. Mm. That way, if that did happen, they came back. Everything is exactly where it was. Yeah. Actually, I'm being I'm I'm confusing myself. I'm thinking of Back to the Future Two. Oh, where they <laughs> nailed everything in place oh. to do the 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 shot where Michael J. Fox is in the shot three times. Oh, right, right, right. I, my bad. I was misremembering. That's all right. So then maybe none of the stop motion films I've seen have ever done that. I don't know. I mean, because I mean, you can do all that you can, right? And there was a few places where they had to kind of overdo it with like you know drilling things and making sure everything is exactly in its right place and it can't move right mm. uh, because even just a millimeter off is a millimeter off in in that one six scale it's a lot yeah right and the fact that they, the reason they use one six scale is because barbie is one six scale therefore they can use um accessories from that and repurpose them and design other props oh, cool. from it. Right? That's cool. So they had to obviously they can't use a trademarked whatever. Product, right. Right. But they could use it as a model. Right. You know, so I want to talk about everything like the technicality. It was like I'm using the wrong terminology. I just want to talk about how they dressed the models. Yeah. Because it was so realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, every like everything, you know, that of course that was the point, that's what we've been talking about, is it was the point to be very realistic. But I just appreciated how well it was, you know, down to their clothes, you know, because you know, in, in a lot of the Tim Burton stop motion movie you know, movies that he's done, the clothes match the character. You know, if the character's very slim and slender, like Victor of Corpse Bride, his clothes are gonna match that. Um, same with Jack Skellington but with these they were so real and I just loved that so much Um, it didn't feel like putting clothes on a doll you know it looked like an actual person would wear that you know which again like I said that was the point but yeah they uh, the only time that it got really complicated was during the sex scene because they have to take off clothes. Yeah. Right? And so they sewed wires into the stripes of his shirt. And, of course, it took, like, five or six shirts just for that shot of him taking it off. Uh-huh. Right? Because the wire has to be on the opposite side and blah, 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 and whatever. Right. Um, and so... But, I mean, the, the, the amount of work that had to go into just taking a shirt off right yeah unbelievable an unbelievable amount of work yeah you know uh it was probably like a week's worth of shots just for him to go like yes to take the shirt off that's probably about right 
Yeah. Because it, uh, it did take months just to do that scene. Yeah, I... 86? Again, like, like I said at the beginning of this, I have a great respect for people who make stop-motion film because it's, it's not easy. No. You know, even... Tim Burton's first stop motion venture, uh, Vincent, a short film that he did when he was working for Disney. Um, it's very rough, <laughs> very rough, but you know, that five minute short film, I think he said took them months yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. And that had a lot of technical things that stop motion film wasn't capable of doing at that time. Of course, you know, stop motion has been around since the 60s with, you know, uh, uh, um, shit. The, the, um, I just watched a video about it the other day. Um, the, uh, the Argonauts, uh, Jason and the Argonauts, you know, that kind of stop motion interacting with real people. Right. You know, tech, you know, was, at its time was very technical, but then... I'm go- I'm kind of getting off topic, but no, I mean, well, with this one, you know, obviously they they had to digitally take out a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the rigging, because they would have, you know, these metal bars keeping certain body parts in place uh-huh. and making sure they don't move and all, all that stuff, and then, of course they had to be digitally taken out and whatever. Right. So I mean, it's not like move, take a picture, move, take a picture. It's you know, rig him here. Let's you know, drill that in place. Let's put him here and then we'll move and take a picture and digitally take out everything else. And I also just want to say, this is going to sound really weird, but I, just want, I have to say this. <laughs> Props to the animation guy who gave Michael's little penis a little bit of a flop when he gets out of the shower. Yes, he because uh, he runs... He runs into the room out of the bathroom, and it does it, move. It's, it's flopping. It moves, yeah. Yeah, so props to that guy who had to sit there and carefully lift that little penis up. You got the shot? Okay. Right, yeah. I mean, again, extremely realistic. Um, I mean, I I wish they had told me, because, I mean, it, it sounds simple, looks simple, but it can't be as him wiping the fog oh, yeah. off of the mirror. I don't know how he did that. Yeah. Yeah? Well, and it was like, um, there was one stop motion film I saw. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> I'm also a really big fan of Ardman Studios, people who did Chicken Run, um, when they did Flushed Away. Okay. Flushed Away was meant to be all stop motion, but they didn't know how to do water yet. Ah. So they made it CGI, which I think works. But then, you know, uh, who was it? I can't remember who, but then, like, you know, on Fantastic Mr. Fox, we see how water can work in the stop-motion format. Um, And then especially with Kubo and the two strings, like, it's just so impressive, man. Yeah. Like, they have these tricks. So, like, with the fog, I don't know, dude. I... I'm going to quote... Uh, Francis McDormand um, from Fargo and say, I don't really agree with your police work there, Lou. (laughs) Because uh, as we have stated before, uh, in 1927, they used stop motion in Metropolis uh, for the traffic, for the cars. Oh, shit, that's right. That's right. So. That's right. I forgot we talked about that. Yeah. 
Shout out to our Metropolis episode. Yeah, shout out to Fritz Lang and the Metropolis episode. Fall of Babel. I don't remember what uh, episode or what season. but Season three. Okay, cool. You'll find it. Um, But, okay, so... Uh, one of the last things I want to point out is it was written in 2005, therefore it's placed in 2005. Right. Um, so when... Yeah, because when he's talking about George Bush, I was like... George Bush? I was like, when did this movie come out? 2015. Yeah. You know? And so... <laughs> uh, and so it's a little, you know, it's not obvious, right? The only thing that really lets you know is the president. Because when he goes into the manager's office... He's dream a sequence ...of George Bush, which, of course... Looks like everybody else, and and um, and then he talks about the the president being a war criminal or whatever. Yeah. And um, and so in 2015, it would have still been Obama. So yes. I'm like, oh, okay, no, that's not true. <laughs> so no. um, it's uh, written in 2005, set in 2005. Well, and I think another clue is his iPod. Apple doesn't make uh, iPod Classics anymore. No, they don't. I still have one. Yeah, Dad uses one exclusively. So um, he he still finds ways to charge it and use it. So he's going to have that forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it took me a while because I was like, when does this take place? Right. And, you know, I wasn't really thinking Which, about it. I mean, I didn't care when it took Until place. Until I saw the, the picture of the president. And I was like, George Bush. And then he starts talking about George Bush. I go, oh, I guess it's not. But then we really get it when Lisa, at the very end, is running in the letter. She puts the date, and the date is 2005. Uh, and she says it out loud. I didn't. I, I missed that part. Because I was just so, like, I was just listening to what she was saying about Michael that I was right. just like. And it is, and it's a great bookend to the beginning because in the very beginning, you know, it starts with a very hateful, yeah. and spiteful letter. From and a lost love. You would assume that Lisa should be just as mad but, that Michael is Bella, and she's not. Because she, for the first time in her life, someone made her feel special. Right. And even though it didn't work out, she is just so happy that someone saw her more than just for her flaws. Right. And so that's how we get this little book in to this film, which is amazing. Yeah. And and sort of a hopeful, nice, you know, happy question mark ending. I mean, I, Maybe I don't know. For Lisa. For Lisa, yeah. <laughs> uh, because Lisa is now, you know, um, she was very critical of herself in the beginning. Now I don't think she will be. No, because we definitely see her scar more. Yeah, she's letting the wind blow her hair back, and um, and we get to see her scar, which she would never do that when we meet her the first time. Mm-hmm. She's always covering her hair, or she's always licking the hair to cover her scar, and um, which is a little Jennifer Jason Lee, because she would do that constantly uh, during the the recordings. So, so shout out to our first episode, very first episode. When I was looking, I was like, I know that name, and I was like, oh, it's. It's her. It's Dombardo. Yes, um, and you know this doesn't matter either. Um, but when we did Magnolia, uh-huh. uh, Jason Robarts, uh, who is the old man um, with cancer, uh-huh. who owned it was uh, Earl Partridge. He owns you know Partridge Studios and blah blah. Right. The production studio. Um, the reason Jennifer Jason Lee has Jason in the middle is Jason Robarts. 
uh, a family friend and a mentor to her when she was starting out as an actor. Ah. So that's a little fun connection between the two of them uh, is the reason her name is Jennifer Jason Lee is Jason Robards. Dang, dude. Yeah. Two, now three episodes that sort of connect Look in some that. weird way. I know. We're doing pretty good. Um, <gasps> is this a shared universe? No. <laughs> Let's go ahead and wrap up. So, Rain, I'm really glad you like this one. Yes. I I definitely uh, will buy it because uh, I want to physically own it. I don't want to digitally own it. I want to physically own this movie because yeah. it was just so... It was so gorgeous, and it it does open me up to want to watch more of Charlie Kaufman's movies. Like oh, gr- growing up, we had being John Malkovich. That's so cool. Um, and I remember seeing the album artwork, and it was the it was the silhouette of John yes. Malkovich, and the door was open, and Cameron and John, and I can't think of the uh, the other yeah, actress, right. are all kind of looking through it, and I was like, "What is this movie?" But I was too young for my mom to let me watch it. Now that I'm older, I've been more and more like, I really need to watch this movie. Yeah, that one's really, really good. It's um, got a Criterion, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> i got to get the Criterion. <laughs> um, but it does open me up to watch more. And then, of course, you've been raving about, I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, it's amazing. I watched the trailer. I'm like, this is very interesting. It's very weird. I'm, I'm kind of into this, especially just finishing The Haunting of Hill House. I'm kind of, I'm delving into the, the realm of weird Lately, it's a different kind of weird, but yeah. But you know, and so this is really this one especially has really opened me up to wanting to watch more. Uh, again, kind of going back to the beginning of the episode, I definitely want to see adaptation. Yeah, mainly because I love some Nick Cage, and he said that was one of his favorite experiences on yeah. a film set. Of course, he says Vampire's Kiss is his best movie, but oh my god, I'll never watch that movie. Holy shit! <laughs> but anyway, um, but yeah, I loved it. Um, a little disappointed my wife didn't like it as much. I think the sex scene kind of uh, ruined it for her. But, Interesting. But yeah, man. Hey, Ryan, what are we doing next week? So, I thought really long and hard about this. Because after Alex left last week, I was like, what are we going to do after we do Anomalisa? And so, I was going back and forth and back and forth. And it kind of fits with, uh, with what we just talked about. Um... To kind of close out my last episode before your series, which I can't believe it's come this fast know, already. We're doing it really but fast. But to kind of close, my, close this out before we get into some really good shit, <laughs> uh, continuing with the, the, the theme of love, um, next week, in my opinion, career best for his third movie... Kevin Smith's Chasing Amy. We're going to do Chasing Amy? Chasing Amy. In my opinion, career best. It is by far one of his best movies. Best written, best acted, directed. And it is such a... Now watching it now that I'm older, because I watched it when we were in high school, and I didn't really like it. But now watching it as I'm older, I understand the point. I understand the, the, the story behind it. Um, and then, of course, it does connect to all his other movies, but it is one that is very more contained than, like, Clerks or or Dogma or something like that. Um, and it's just, man. I did not expect you to say Chasing Amy. All right, we'll do Chasing Amy. What did you think I was going to say? I don't know. I just was like, I, <laughs> you know, who knows? But Chasing Amy. Okay, yeah, Chasing Amy. That's uh, what's Yeah, I feel like it's a good way to, because I had it picked out. Because I rewatched it the other night, and I had I was like, 
we're going to do Chasing Amy. And then when I watched Anomalisa, I was like, this is perfect. We end on two kind of love stories. Because we're definitely not in it on them, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we hope everyone enjoyed uh, Anomalisa. We forgot to say it. Uh, spoilers. Oh, whoops. Uh, oopsie. Whoopsie. Oops. Um, so <laughs> if you've made dudes. it this far... Sorry, uh, when they put a spoiler warning in the description. Nah. Uh, but Probably anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed Anomalisa. Uh, we will see you next week for Chasing Amy. When I see a face because this is like a mini vacation for us. We can't even afford it. But look what happened. It's so worth it. Oh, I love this song. Shut up, Lisa. I haven't got a massage tonight in the room. Mm. It's good to splurge every now and again. So... What do you ladies do for fun? Besides drinking? Emily, stop! Hey. God! <laughs> well, I like to drink. I do too, but we do lots of other things. We hike and bike ride. Oh, I play the juice harp a little. I don't like to say juice harp because it's offensive to Jews. Anyway, I bought one of those um, self-teaching... Self-teaching? Is that right? Or is it self-learning? The juice harp is an underrated instrument. I know. People think of it as just this thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Here you are, folks. Two apple mojitos. Mm. Thank you.
Thanks. You're welcome. And one more Belvedere Martini for the gentleman. Thanks. Two. Us. <laughs> <laughs>